Hi everybody, you are very welcome back to a very special episode of the Irish NFL show. We are relooking with the Arrowheads abroad on how it went over the weekend. I'm so excited. Colm, you were back. You were jet lagged. It's great to see you again and not actually looking at you through my phone. Totally green and envious of where you were. Yeah, um, obviously just arrived back in uh, this morning uh, after a great week, but probably not a, not quite uh, as good a week as our guest had. I love the way he's sitting there and he's like still glowing. Chris, I'm so happy that you guys joined us. So thank you so much. It was an amazing game. I'm actually slightly annoyed I didn't come in to see you guys in the wool shed because wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, I've got a, a bit of a confession to make. Personally, I wasn't able to make it to Dublin. A um, little bit of an issue with a passport and certain travel operator wanting to see one and certain operators not wanting to see one. So at the finish, I had to abandon those plans and make other plans for later in the year. But yeah, it was, um, the, from what I've heard of the guys and from what my experience was of watching the game at home as well, it was an absolutely fantastic game that just didn't disappoint. Um, it was the first, you know, it was built at the Kel Kelsey Bowl. It was billed as the first meeting of two black quarterbacks in this Super Bowl. Um, it was quite an historic night. So, and it was just one of those, you knew it was going to be a good game. You knew it was going to be a tough game. Um, we knew from the outset and it didn't disappoint whatsoever. It was high scoring. It had everything, pretty much everything you wanted. A bit of injury controversy at Willie Warney at uh, halftime. You know, can he do it? Can he not? So, yeah, it was, was excellent. It, just, it didn't disappoint whatsoever. That magical sponge done wonders at halftime. And I also want yeah. whatever Mahomes took for that high injury sprain for when I've got a hangover because, wow, the game really was a battle of the quarterbacks. Colin, what was it like being in the stadium at the time? Um, it was great. I mean, great atmosphere. I, it felt probably that it was maybe 50, 55, 45 um, Eagles fans. I would say the Eagles fans just edged it in terms of attendance. But um, given they hadn't been there in longer, that isn't a, a, an enormous surprise also given the, the size of Philadelphia. But Chris, I, I'm interested in, in hearing from you in terms of the, the start of the game. And the decision by Andy Reid to give the Eagles the ball, because I was kind of baffled by this. I mean, they they're notorious for for starting early and getting up ahead of steam. Was that a, a surprise to you? It it wasn't personally because if, you know watching the Chiefs for so long, everybody knows that if the Chiefs win the toss, Andy Reid likes to defer and receive the ball at the start of the second half. He likes to go um, finish the end of the first half strong, hopefully get some points on the board at the end of the second half, get the ball straight back at the start of the second half and try and double up on that. So it didn't surprise me. I A little bit, I suppose, I can understand why it might surprise other people that the Eagles that do start, they come out like a train. Um, I think it was just a case of Andy Reid sticking to his game plan, sticking to what he always does and hoping and putting his faith in the defence that they would uh, create some kind of stop. <laughs> Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but... That's. I think it was more a case of sticking to his own game plan and knowing what it is that he would uh, he would normally do. So, it didn't surprise me. And did you have any like the concern? I suppose they they did start off so well, and I mean, just about everything that the Eagles wanted to happen on that drive kind of did, right? Jalen Hurts showed that the the shoulder wasn't an issue. They were able to to move the ball quite effectively, and then when it came down to you know the the goal line. 
the Chiefs bring in the, the really big boys, but the Eagles do what the, the Eagles always seem to do on those short yardage and, and they force them over. Yeah. I mean, at that at that point, was there a little a little bit of concern uh, that they were able to move the ball so freely in that first drive? I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't, because, yeah, there was a bit of a concern. At first, I thought this was just a bit too easy for them, and I know what they're like, and I thought that was without even bringing kind of uh, Miles Sanders into it. It was pretty much like a couple of yards for Kenny Game. Well, it was mainly Jalen Hurts doing the damage, and then you know if they get in kind of a third and short situation, it's going to be two down territory, especially in the Super Bowl. There's no way they're going to be giving it up unless it's inside uh, their own 20-yard line, <laughs> something like that. But it was, it, it, they went through, they, they, they were moving the chains with ease, um, I thought that we would be prepared for the run early doors and that we would kind of probably would be seeing more run players than, than passing players from the outset first quarter and kind of pretty much what happened. But I was a little bit, I was a bit surprised at how easy we seemed to kind of give up those yardage, uh, those yards. Um, but you knew as soon as you got in, like I said, the, the third and one situation or fourth and one, it was always going to be that kind of, QB sneak or it's going to be that kind of to get everybody behind Jalen Hurts give him a good show up the backside and you know see what extra you can pick up with all you need and want and they just did it so efficiently that it frustrated me quite a lot the night I thought I was getting frustrated in the times I kind of lost my uh, I lost my integrity a little bit and thinking that you're just the same team that does this same thing over and over again and it, it works for you and if we were able to do that we would capitalise on it as well you know if it works why no don't change it don't fix it just keep going with what what works for you so yeah it frustrated me a little bit but and the thing is it, it, it eats the clock when you run the ball as well and the less time it's clever the less time you give Patrick Holmes on the field um the better you give yourself a great chance and they did that well can't complain I love how you touched on the quarterback sneak because it is something that we've seen the whole way through the season it's Nick Sirianni's little belter he always pulls out of the ball mm. You know, it's one of these questions. How is it that teams who actually play against them just aren't prepared or are completely ready and able to play that and know that when that's going to happen? You know, it, I understand, you know, it does come out of it. It just seems to be, we always know what's going to happen. And yet we're not even prepared for it. No, it's it's right. You're, you're powerless. You know it's going to happen, but you just, you can't stop it. And I don't think it's even, a team's not being prepared for it. I think teams are probably over prepared for it. They know that it's going to happen. They pack the box with the heaviest guys they can find. But it just, it doesn't matter. They get so low that you can't generate enough of it. You can't get low yourself. Low man wins in the NFL. You can't get any lower than they get. If you could, you could get that leverage and drive up under the pads, but they can't do that. It just, it, that dive just allows, it takes half of the big guys out the equation. They can't do anything about it. And it just leaves, you know, a little few push from the linebackers. Jalen Hurts, you can either dive over the top, you can... He might find a little gap. He just needs to sneak his hand out past the, the line. It's just, you cannot stop it. It's, it's, I don't know how they're able to do it so well, but they can get so low that other people just can't. It's uh, They must work on their flexibility drills, something mad, because it's just it's, it's like nobody else. I've, I've never seen a team like it do that. Well, well of course, uh, speaking of things that you know are coming and yet you can't stop it, Travis Kelsey. Because the the talk on the the morning of the game had been how Vic Fangio had signed a, uh, had signed a two week contract with the Eagles to help them game plan, and everybody knows that Travis Kelsey is you know a hall of, hall of fame tight end, best tight end in in the league, and uh, were were you 
I mean, look, we know he can do it, but were you surprised that he had so much space, particularly er early on? And, you know, it just seemed like Fangio missed 87 on the scouting report. It looked like it. I was quite surprised with how uh, how regular and how easy he was getting open. Um, I wasn't expecting it at all. I think the talk in the previous round was about whether, you know, have you hit Kelsey yet was what they were kind of talking about. You know, if you haven't hit Kelsey yet, then what are you doing? Um, it, it, I, I didn't, I, I don't think they got the memo. I just, I don't know how he was open so often and, and how he managed to create some space, but we all know how he does it. Um, so yeah, I said, I don't know how he managed to do it, but we do know how he does it. He's so good at what he does. It's just chip blocking and he gets himself in some space. Um, I don't know whether, I don't know what the game plan was in terms of defending him, but you know, there's times they were playing with kind of two high safeties. It gives up the, the intermediate. You're going to give yards to Kelsey if that's the case. And, you know, it finds a scene with a 10, 15 yard game. It's just his, it's his game. He gets open. He's, he's such a, I don't think people understand how good of a, a runner he is and it is, um, his ability to get open. I think people are cutting in on more and more now, but again, going like the QB sneak, it doesn't matter. You can't stop him. You know what he's going to do. You just can't stop him. Short of kind of doubling him up with two linebackers, if you do that, you're just leaving it open for ball over the top. You know, you, you've just got you've got to make a decision on which way you go with it. You can't do everything, and just for some reason they decided to to not go with having Travis Kelsey covered for some reason. But I, I'm just surprised that people haven't gone with the like double him and 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 take the hit like if if Juju burns you with MBS burns you, I think take the hit. But you saw it against the Jags. Chiefs backed up. Obviously, Chad Henney is in. Chiefs backed up into their own end zone, and the Jags gave gave. I mean, look, Kelsey is incredible at finding space, but the fact you don't double him, I'm always amazed because he yeah. is that good. And obviously he has that relationship um, with Mahomes as well and their innate ability to kind of find each other. I, I remember um, Tua earlier in the season said about like if receivers, if you can't, if you can't see me, I can't see you. Well, it, that doesn't seem to apply to Patrick Mahomes and, and Travis Kelsey because Mahomes could be anywhere on the field. He doesn't have to have his eyes on Kelsey. And he has that ab yeah. ability to to find him. I mean, it does just in, in wider than the the Super Bowl. Maybe I mean for like is Travis Kelsey at like where where do you place him in terms of the the great tight ends we have seen in terms of the Gronks uh, um, and um, the the uh, the others who've come through the Shannon Sharps and others. I think it's it's a tough one because it's at every position they evolve as time goes on. I think what's required of you, it evolves. I mean, now tight ends a lot more uh, are expected to be kind of a, a receiving threat, much more than they ever were before. You know, we've kind of seen more of that uh, kind of additional offensive lineman where now they're seen more as that a little bit of a kind of a bigger bodied wide receiver, uh, more of a receiving threat who provides a little bit of a blocking kind of upside um so it's tough i think to compare them it's a little bit like the you know how do you kind of compare like a mike tyson to a muhammad ali kind of situation completely different eras and this different ways of, of kind of playing the game and, and approaching a, a, a fight kind of thing um but for me the closest i suppose i could probably get would be the the, the gronk era and the kind of tony gonzalez is about as close as you're going to get in terms of what's required of them and certainly he's up there with with gronk um I personally, I'd be, I'd be a bit biased, and I would say that he's better than Gronk. Um, his stats and uh, they've they've eclipsed that. 
yes, again, like I said, go back to the, the caveat that some people are probably going to throw up that more is expected of Kelsey as a receiver than was of Gronk. Gronk was more maybe a kind of a red zone target for Tony Brady, uh, Tom Brady, Tony Brady, Tom Brady to exploit. Um, Kelsey's a bit of both. He's a red zone threat, but he's also, he's an every down threat receiving the ball as well. So it's it's very tough to compare everybody, but I certainly, he should be up there in those conversations. Uh, one of the top five, if not top two tight ends of all time. Um, I've always been a Chiefs fan for a while, so I've always kind of had a bit of a, a soft spot for Gonzalez and Kelsey. So it's a, a tough one, but I would say that he's probably probably up there, certainly top two. We all know who Mama Kelsey's favourite boy is now after Sunday, for sure, for the next year anyways. Um, Cub, you were in the stadium. What was it like when Mahomes picked up that injury? Because we've seen what it was like the last time he actually picked up the same injury. And I mean... I almost fell off my sofa watching it here. The scream, I think I probably woke my neighbor. It was just crazy. Yeah, I think there was a kind of collective intake of breath in the, the stadium and everyone kind of wondered how how bad it was. And then you saw on the big screens on the sideline, you saw the grimace and you really wondered, um, you know, what what is this going to mean? And could this be it? And they every time they kind of showed a replay, because he was grimacing on the sideline, you thought, uh-oh, this, this could be, they could be really in trouble here. Um, for you, Chris, I suppose, um, with, with that, with the injury and the, the Eagles essentially, you know, dominating the, the first half in, in many ways, um, you know, obviously there, there was the, the fumble return, but they did what they wanted to do in terms of they kept the ball away from Mahomes and they managed to score points. Going in at, at half time, what was what was your feeling at that point? <laughs> I was confident before the game that we were going to win the game. Um, going into halftime, it was more a case of, I really hope we win the game because the one thing you know you've got in your corner is that Patrick Mahomes is a free. He's like nobody else that, that's played the game before. I mean, the, the, the things he does with the ball is just ridiculous. He finds ways to get the ball to people. He'll find ways to pick up yardage. It doesn't matter how he does it. He, he does it. Um, you just can't stop him. But if he doesn't have that platform to throw from and the fact that he's not going to be able to scramble like he does quite often, such a deceptive runner with the ball in his hands, it worried me quite a bit. I thought this is, it's really going to be tough. And I did think that actually it was going to have to be that our Super Bowl hopes were relying on Chad Henney um, performing some kind of miracle and, you know, having pretty much the opposite of what the first half was because the Eagles just they did what they wanted. I mean, they, they, we had trouble in the first half. The defensive backs were struggling to contain AJ Brown and uh, Devonta um, Smith. Um, we just the, the Jalen Hurts was having fun running with the ball. Um, I mean, everything they wanted to do just went in their favour in the first half. I think, and I think it was a bit of a let off with the um, you know that fumble recovery. I think it worked. It was it was good. It was a bonus. But aside from that, everything was just. It was terrible, to be honest. It was just wasn't going according to the script. So second half, it really needed to be the exact opposite of that. And you knew with kind of Patrick Mahomes at the centre of that, you always had a shot of that. I was struggling to think that or, or believe that he would be back after um, the halftime. I mean, the grimace and kind of putting his head on the, the coach's shoulder, looking as though you knew at the start of the game it wouldn't have healed properly. It takes too long to heal. Uh, a fortnight off isn't going to heal it completely. Um, you knew he was going to miss the game. You knew he was going to be starting the game. Um, 
and he would do his best. But when you saw him hobbling like that, almost dragging his back end off like a um, some kind of gazelle that's been caught by some kind of big cat, dragging his back end away, wounded and limping, it was uh, it wasn't a good sight. And I, I feared the worst then. But you know, came out second half, and so at least we're in with a shot. And on that, on like I suppose for for me, like that first drive of the second half was was changed everything, right? There was you could actually tone change in the the stadium, and while I feel the the Chiefs were probably more aggressive all night, um, you know, and you have to set the tone. I look, I there was an early hit on Devonta Smith. Now, in fairness, he got up from it and just continued to play. But that to me set the tone, and we've seen that time and time again. But on offense, it didn't feel like they. He'd gotten going, but all of a sudden, Pacheco came out, and my goodness, was he ru running angry. All of a sudden, Mahomes isn't just looking uh, for Kelsey. He's finding guys. He's running. He's showing he can uh, take off. And that was um, a kind of a palpable shift in em in emphasis, and you could feel it in the, in the stadium. It was like, oh, no, here here they come. Um, yeah. And and was that the the feeling that that you had at that point? Was it like, oh, th this is on, this is on all of a sudden? <laughs> it 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 did slowly the, the the kind of the belief started to creep in a little bit more. It was less of hope and kind of the, the balanced it more towards the belief side that we can do this. And that as long as you, know, I've seen games so many times where you're trailing in the third quarter and all of a sudden there's an enormous fourth quarter and you win the game. So the panic wasn't there um you knew that there was still plenty of time left with plenty of ball game to be played even at the end of the third quarter but it did the more time went on you could feel that shift in momentum and it felt as though that everything was just it, it seemed to be coming back to the chiefs you know the the defense kind of they they picked up they were starting to deal with um you know start deal with jalen hurts's run ability they started dealing with um with stopping the uh you know the likes of, of brown and uh and smith it just it seemed as though that they were leading the way almost and saying look we're doing our bit over to you guys kind of as a squad as a team don't let us down it's your turn go out there and take it back kind of thing uh, we've kept them off the field now you go and get it and you could kind of see that and I, that, that friend of mine was like, watching it with us with me as well and it was you just felt that there was much more to cheer about in the second half there was much more of that kind of off the edge of your sofa kind of like willing the team on and then you know the um, you could feel the crowd. You could hear the crowd starting to overpower and, and kind of out sing the, the the Eagles fans as well. You could hear the war chant, you know, more and more often. So you did feel like there was a, a change, and you could feel that it was palpable to me. You could feel it, and certainly it was. It looked like that, and it just to go touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. You know, just every time you got the ball, it seemed like everything was going right. And the fact that you like you touched on before, it wasn't just looking at Kelsey. I think the Eagles were probably going to expect that a wounded Mahomes is going to look for his safety blanket in, in Kelsey. And he didn't. That's not what he did. He brought in the likes of... It's nice to see Sky Moore, a rookie, uh, picking up a touchdown. Like you said, Isaiah Pacheco picked up a touchdown. Another rookie. Not a rookie, but certainly to the Chiefs. Kadarius Tony picking up a touchdown. How he was as wide open as he was. The motion and the, the communication in the Eagles' uh, defense, it must have been havoc for them because he was so wide open on that one. Um, it, so it was good to see him pick a touchdown up and of course Kelsey's got to get his as well so it, it just yeah. it, it was brilliant had everything for me I thought what, what has been fascinating since is the fact that you know they've come out and they've talked about how the enemy went through 
on Friday night that piece that they had noticed that when you go to, to jet motion um, or jet sweep um, and basically the, the eagles sell out completely and then if you if you don't complete it if you turn then you've got a man free and of course it was Andy Reid's disciple Doug EP who had uh, run just that, that play and we talk about this league being a, a copycat league all the time but I'm wondering Chris like in terms of, it seemed to me like what, what you said earlier in terms of that too high and, and what you give up to Kelsey and in terms of Mahomes' running ability throughout the game. I'm wondering yeah. like, and, and and this is, I'm speculating, I'm just interested in your opinion. To me, it seems like the the Raiders, was it last year, almost came up with a the, the best that I have seen plan in terms of dealing with Mahomes, which is quite something given that it was the Raiders. But in terms of they just remember they just sat the spy in there for the entirety of the game, which allowed them to deal a little bit with Kelsey and ensured that Mahomes, because he's so good. I mean, the issue yeah. with Mahomes is he can hit you over the top, he can hit Kelsey, or he can take off. But in terms of like where where have you seen? Because that's let's face it, this Eagles defense, particularly in the second half. Mahomes, I think he averaged um, basically Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes turned the best defense in the league into the worst in that second half. They they could yeah. do whatever they want. I'm just wondering, in terms of from what you've seen from a Chiefs fan, where how do teams go about trying to slow down Patrick Mahomes? Because we know Andy Reid is coming back next year now. Yeah, well, I mean the the thing is, it's a tough it's tough because you don't just have to stop Patrick Mahomes. Um, you've got that element of it. That's a big part of it, but you've also got to stop the playmaking abilities and kind of the script design of the offensive genius there's Andy Reid. Um, it doesn't matter. You could have in some plays, I'm not saying all plays, but in some plays you could have a, a quarterback who's not Patrick Mahomes and it would still look like a great play because it's actually come from Andy Reid's play design. Um, Where you spoiled the fact that Patrick Mahomes can, he can make those things happen, but if it doesn't go according to script, his improvisation skills are like nobody else's, and he always just finds ways to keep to get people open. You know, he, he throws receivers open. He's got a good scrambler. He, he's he gets the ball to whoever he wants, whenever he wants. So, how you stop him? I, I just I don't know. I think I, I personally I feel as though that the too high safety issue isn't something that I don't think teams should be doing that. I don't think that's what they should be best doing. I think now at the time when that deep threat to the likes of Tyreek Hill was there you kind of always had to bracket in with the, the kind of two high safeties. Otherwise, you could be burned big style. And I think last year we saw that was the Buccaneers, I think it was in the first quarter, it was something like 200 yards alone um, receiving by Hill. And teams caught and run and thought, look, we've got to take away this deep threat, so we'll leave two high safeties. Now that Hill's gone, you leave the two high safeties, then you've got so many people in the box. You know, the defensive line, you've got to at least have five people. Um, plus, you want to probably drop down, you've got a couple of cornerbacks. You've got that intermediate kind of yardage there to begin, which is where whatever you take away some of the, from from a, a deep threat like Tyreek Hill, it's then playing at the hands of a Travis Kelsey, who if you're going to play too high, I'll just hit the seam and you'll find me 15 yards and we'll take that every single time. Now we've got that threat that will be able to hand the ball off, dump the ball to Pacheco, and he keeps churning his feet and churning his feet again in the hard yardage. Um, so there's so many options at our disposal that, I think the two high safeties for me now is a mistake. I think what you need to do is bring more into kind of the uh, kind of slot and, and kind of box safety kind of area um, and start looking at defending the intermediate yardage. And if you get beat over the top sometimes, your only real threat, I suppose, to being beaten over the top at the moment by the Chiefs is um, 
I would say, is by the likes of MVS. You know, if you've got play the box safety, you've got somebody that's quick enough, they can drop into coverage kind of that, that um, deep safety. But uh, personally, I don't know why more teams don't do that. I've, um, I think you've got to deal with Kelsey. Now, he's the main threat in terms of the receiving threat. Playing two high safeties is just, it's pointless. You're never going to, you're not going to be coming into contact with him if you're playing too deep. Um, he's in the intermediate areas. It's not dealing with that threat. So I think for me, I'd be doing that more. You should give him Patrick Holmes that area that he likes to go to Kelsey in the intermediate. It's not there anymore. What are you going to do then? You know, we've got sideline to sideline linebackers. We stop the scramble drills. We take away the intermediate yardage to Kelsey. All you've got is over the top. You get somebody open and you find him fair play to you. But the percentage game for me is taking away the intermediate yardage to Kelsey. So interesting. Don't anybody kind of start using that though. Don't start trying it and thinking, oh, we've got that Durham Chief UK to, to blame for the fact that the demise of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid taking away Kelsey's yards. Oh my God, I'm laughing already. Uh, let's touch on our magical part, which is the officiating, because wow, this game was definitely like every other game we've had this season, um, where there was a lot of questionable officiating being there. Obviously, we've spoken about this a number of times within the actual show itself, but you know, the high note and, and the most important part, which led to your win, was Bradbury's holding call, which totally divided social media and still today is dividing it. I was quite excited thinking we were going to go to overtime and then this call happened. I, I kind of felt like the refs didn't want to get paid extra or Vidal just said no more. Um, and I, you could see it as well in the people in the stadium. You know, what was your thoughts on it, Chris, as you watched it from home? Because for me, I was just gobsmacked. Like, like every fan, your initial reaction is always one of kind of you gravitate to defending your own team or your own players. And first off for me, my kind of initial call straight away was that's holding. You know, that's, that's, that's DPI. It's got to be called. Um, then you kind of, I suppose, you, you stop and evaluate things a little bit more. It's more kind of, you think a bit more about it. It's more, you're trying to rationalise it. Um, looking at it, it looked like it didn't really, it's not like he spun him around. You know, he grabbed his jersey. It's not like he kind of, he's not changed, spun him around and he's, he's completely missed um, his, on his route. Um, you've got a guy who's took his shirt a little bit. It's not stopped him really. He's not changed the trajectory of uh, of where he was going. It looked soft. It's one of those ones to me, looking back on it, that I can understand people's gripes. If you think that it was soft and shouldn't have been given, I get that, given that you know, just before the show started, we were saying that you've set yourself a precedent of how you're going to officiate the game, um, Carl Sheffers, and he's then kind of changed that at the last minute. He's kind of gone kind of been going one way and then he's all of a sudden just <laughs> taking a bit of a, a detour in the last couple of minutes. Um, it's one of those that if it was the, one of the Chiefs defensive backs that had given that away, I'd probably be saying, that's a bit soft, that. I, I don't think it's really kind of holding, but it's one of those ones on offense where you'd say, oh yeah, it's, that's holding. You know, if it's your team, it's holding. If it's against your team, it's, it's not holding. See it so many times, you know, and kind of, Football, soccer, however you want to say it, it's, um, that's a penalty. And you know, if it's against you, if you're saying that's never a penalty, there's no way that shouldn't have been given. So it's, I kind of felt a bit like that about it. But one thing I can't argue with and I can't take away is that Garrett Bradbury held, uh, James Bradbury, sorry, held his hands up and said, Yeah, I held him. I was hoping they were going to get, they weren't going to throw, they were going to give it away. Uh, I'll let me get away with it. But it didn't happen. I 
yeah, still can't get away from the fact that last minute he kind of, Chef has changed his, his way of what he let go. All of a sudden, he, he didn't let it go. But for anybody that says that the Chiefs allowed, or that we're handed the game by the officials, and that the official allows us to let it be that Carl Chef is, is not a liked man in the Chiefs' kingdom because of the fact that there's been so many questionable calls going against us, that man would never, ever wear, wouldn't be wearing red, like he wouldn't be wearing red. He's, he's not really, he's never been a kind of all for the Chiefs. He certainly didn't look like it this season either. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't I don't <laughs> buy it to any nonsense around it being rigged or, or favoured as such. I just think um, pressure, pressure gets to players, pressure gets to officials and what you, you have. And you've seen it two, two years in, in a row now. I think the, it, uh, it's Chris, you're, you're right. Like it, it is, and, and Bradbury said it, like it, it is holding. And so they can't, they can, but the issue is they, they didn't, they let it go. I mean, there was one earlier in the game where Bradbury did, I think probably an even more egregious kind of um, DPI um, on, on Juju and got away with it. I think that probably led him to think that that's how the rest were refing it. So, the issue, I think, is is consistency. Yeah. I think that's something. Um, it probably is was also highlighted by the fact that um, you know, there have been a number of instances over the course of the the season with a number of teams, and the commissioner has comes out and says that officiating is the best it has ever been. Um, though I I will say I did see a piece on Mike Sando where he was at a Super Bowl twenty four years ago, and the then commissioner said exactly the same thing officiating is the best it has ever been so time truly is a flat circle take take us through then to you know what what it means as a Chiefs fan to see um you know the this team lift the Lombardi again um Andy Reid gets a a, a second championship Patrick Mahomes gets a, a second championship um and uh you know the the dynasty talk uh grows uh ever louder it does it does I think it's one of those situations where everybody, as a Chiefs fan, we can see the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, not just necessarily as a Chiefs fan, everybody can see the greatness of Patrick Mahomes as a player. Um, everybody knows what a great head coach Andy Reid is and has been with both the Eagles and the Chiefs. Um, everybody knows, you know, that it's a, a, almost a golden age of, of Chiefs football at the moment, but the one thing that always you know, everybody's pulled back to is achievements, you know, whether it's you know, that silverware, you know, how many MVPs has he won? How many times has he won the Super Bowl? You know, how many rings has he got? You know, it's always, it's going to go back to that being compared to Tom Brady and his kind of seven rings that he's got on his fingers and, you know, the greatest of all time. And it's almost as though for some people, you can't have that conversation of somebody being the greatest of all time or one of the greatest of all time, unless they have one more tick in the box than somebody else who's got more than them, which is ludicrous to me because it isn't achievements personally that I think tells the full story. Yes, it helps and it's great for us as Chiefs fans that that talent isn't wasted and that it's rewarding for the players and for the coaching staff and for those guys. They would do a day in, day out. They love it every single day. They love playing football. That's what they do. But for them, they'll have grown up with dreams of winning the Super Bowl, hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, uh, hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Um, if it doesn't happen, it, a lot of those guys are probably going to feel it's for naught. Um, they're going to want that to happen. And to ha- for it to happen twice is, it's great for them. It's great for us as fans. 
Uh, it's great to be kind of recognized as a, a Super Bowl winner for the a second time in a few years. I saw a tweet today where I thought, well, if this hadn't have happened and we hadn't won the Super Bowl this time, would somebody have even tweeted this or would they have still tweeted it and it would look a little bit different? AFC West Championships, Chiefs 3, Raiders 3, Broncos 3, Chargers nil. Now, would somebody have tweeted that had we not won? Because it would have looked like 3-3-2 three, three and two for the Chiefs and none for the Chargers. Or would they actually have tweeted it still? No, I don't know. I'm not sure that they would, but... It just goes to show the mindset. Some people do want to see that the end game, that if you've got the Super Bowl and you've lost, it doesn't matter. You know, that it's almost as though your season's achievements are getting there are for nothing. Um, so it shouldn't be, but it seems to be that it's almost like the money talks situation, trophies talk, Lombardi's talk. Um, and if it helps for those guys to be discussed in some of the greatest of all time conversations and being fantastic at what they do, um, great, good for them. It shouldn't need to be, but. It helps. Yeah, it, it it is. It does seem. I would concur with you. It seems it seems completely silly to focus only on the the rings, the success that the people have. And I don't. I there was a, a clip that went viral. I think maybe just after Brady's retirement, where um and then because the headline on it was um the the guy was saying that he felt um Montana was the best at that time was the best Super Bowl QB. Manning was the best regular season QB. And the Tom Brady was the greatest winner um, in, and, and not that Brady Brady was a top QB, but he felt Manning changed the sport, the way in which a QB operates, the way in which the QB was kind of the OC on the field, which you see Patrick Mahomes doing as well, and also for Joe Montana, the fact that Montana never threw an uh, an interception in uh, a Super Bowl, and I, I think that that would probably be a more interesting discussion rather than kind of just counting up rings. And I mean, yeah. if you were to look at Andy Reid's impact on the game and look at Andy Reid's coaching tree and look at like the way in which he has impacted yeah. again and again and again. Yeah, I think it, it's it, it's far too basic to just break it down. And I mean, I think also the fact that we saw Jalen Hurts have the best game of his young career. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Jalen Hurts. And the fact that Patrick Mahomes took time out again, um, you know, afterwards to specifically call out uh, Jalen Hurts and and his performance, but um maybe uh, Chris before we uh, wrap this up because one of the things that um Andy Reid said and he he did acknowledge that you know n- not go into detail but that he does now have grandkids he is getting um older but he is definitely back for um ne- next year um yeah. Patrick see. Patrick seemed uh, quite pleased about that obviously but um uh, you know talked about the way in which. He said, again, probably kind of harking back to what we were just talking about, it wasn't just that Andy Reid is a great football coach, it's the fact that he makes play, players better people. Um, yeah. Something kind of um, Patrick um, called out. And you touched on Andy Reid's genius as a play caller, but as a Chiefs fan, uh, how nice is it that uh, he will be back again next season? Because let me tell you, as a Broncos fan, that's that's not good news. <laughs> No, it probably it won't be good news for you. No, I understand that. But to me, it's um, it's as though he's the kind of the glue that kind of holds everything together. There's everybody knows that whether it's a workplace, whether it's some kind of um, sports club that you go to, wherever, whatever it is, there's always somebody that generally you know is kind of the glue that keeps everybody together, and who kind of the, the 
they seem to be that calm head. They, they have got words of wisdom whenever you need them. So it just so happens that Andy Reid has got everything he needs in terms of that kind of genius of play calling. He's got a great football and brain, but actually it seems as though that kind of, as a mentor and as a kind of a life coach, he is up there with the best of them as well. The people that he's developed, the players he's developed, some people have come in as, I mean, look at some of the the, the rookies over the last so many years that we've taken on and that's, um, you know, Kelsey wasn't, he wasn't a first, second round pick. Um, you know, you've got Trey Smith was taken late on. Isaiah Pacheco this year was a seventh round pick. And he, don't forget about Brett Veach and all of that. But you're taking what industry insiders, I guess, and scouts and analysts are saying are, are people who aren't likely to be kind of day one starters or impact football players. And shoot Andy Reid the way that he gets, he takes those guys and the, the ability he's got to kind of bring the best out of them. Yeah, they've got to have it in them in, in the first place. But for him to tap into that potential, get it out and actually find that it's um it becomes something much more than it was ever expected to be it's absolutely fantastic it's just it's testament to him and i think it just goes to show how good a coach he is and so yeah not just a, a tactical genius but he just knows how to get the best out of people and i think you, you're hard pushed to see anybody around andy reed that isn't smiling and i think it goes to show how highly that the you know the guys in the, t the in the locker room think of him at you see little things like he gets involved in the adverts you know the commercials with uh you know, in state farm commercials there, uh, other insurers or whatever they are, are available. But <laughs> this, um, he's also, I mean, birthday cakes, things like that. Just the little kind of the jokey side to him. He's a person as well. He's not just a coach. And uh, I think it it speaks volumes. He's always got a smile on his face. I can't say I've ever seen that at Bill Belichick, but each to their own. It's, it's a very rare day when my Bill smiles and I'm not holding it against him. <laughs> so I'm not holding it against him. Which I have to say, Andy Reid really is. He's one of those, if I could give a coach an award for his mentoring, especially his players, I would definitely give it to him. Uh, there's no way any other coach could get away with being on an off-season, drinking beer and eating a load of cheeseburgers. No, no way. I'm actually amazed that the nutritionist that actually works with the Chiefs is able to even get him to have a Nutri-Grain bar in a normal day. Uh, but Chris, thank you so much for joining us. It was really good to catch up with you. And... Enjoy the off-season. Enjoy having your Lombardi. Uh, and we will see you guys early next year again. Thank you for having me.